And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of QC Brief. I'm here once again with Michael Forian. Uh, if this is the first time here, this is the segment of the Backstage Podcast where we bring you a little briefing twice a week about what's happening in the campaign. We're almost done. Uh, we have uh, one more episode that will be launching on Election Day, which is on the 3rd of October. So just in a couple of days. Um, we may be doing a follow-up episode after the elections just to discuss the results. But in any case, here is Michael Forian. How's it going, buddy? Mm. I'm going great as I'm taking a slurp of coffee. Of course, you introduced me. Go figure. Uh, it's going well. Um, back in the National Capital Region as of yesterday. And as I was coming back, if this is not a, a, an omen of the election, I don't know what is. But as I am coming back into the city on uh, my via rail train uh, we hit a moose <laughs> i saw your tweet so i don't know if that's good luck or bad obviously not good luck for the moose um though i did ask if we could make some some moose stew yeah um with the leftovers that was, there any, was there anything really left over i mean i had you, a good did question you, did you um, feel I, anything did you feel anything or was it just at no, the end uh, someone said that oh, we hit a moose and we split like, it in what, half like, 60 80k um probably probably faster going down the rail nothing nothing. the only thing we heard was like the air pressure there was an air pressure leak the moment it happened but like people just thought like oh it's via rails run down trains yet again you know and no it actually hit a moose go figure so in any case um it it wasn't as bad as we thought um is there anything is there anything more canadian than that no (laughs) it's really there is quintessentially canadian and uh in any case, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, so it, my, my my proposal to actually make some moose stew did not go down well with that's the VPL attendant. Um, so yeah, they have no <laughs> sense of humor. That's fine. Let's get into our news. Um, this is the final stretch. This is the final stretch. And, you know, these last, you know, seven, five days, you know, this is the time where everyone needs to just be careful. You don't want anything surprising you to derail your campaign. Uh, your more experienced politicians are probably being sent a message saying, listen, keep it down a little bit. Just focus on your people, mobilize, get your vote out. Just focus on the basics, you know, avoid media as much as you can. If you can, if you could, uh, let's just, you know, smooth sailing until the end. It is not the case. And for a lot of parties, it's not the case. Um, specifically, obviously, the CAC, uh, the, the the governing party, which is again in hot water uh, with respect to immigration, uh, its positioning, its uh, its comments on it, uh, its its mentality in general. And this is something that, that has haunted Premier Legault from the very beginning of the campaign. But yesterday was the worst one, I think. Jean Boulet coming out and saying that 80% of immigrants do not work, do not speak French, do not adhere to the values of Quebec society. This was during a debate in his uh, region, in in the Mauricie, um, on September 21st, so just about a week ago. uh, He defended himself. uh, He apologized. He he said, I I really expressed my thoughts poorly. I I did a bad job. Um, and, And again, this is the kryptonite. This is the kryptonite that campaigns need to avoid in that final stretch, like you mentioned. And this is what the media is looking for. I remind you, people knew this was festering for a few days because uh, this was a debate that was also sponsored by Radio Canada in his home riding. So 
people, this was a story that was building and building and building. And finally, the trap was sprung. And, and the reaction from uh, party leaders has been fairly strong. Uh, you know, you've had, for example, um, you know, accusations of being irresponsible, damaging, dangerous. Uh, you know, Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon is going further by saying the CAC leader is in panic. Uh, saying that he's seeing an erosion of his support for the benefit of the PQ. And we can see that this is maybe uh, there's some truth to that, or maybe it's, you know, PSPP taking advantage of recent polls. But, um, you know, there there was a recent uh, Angus Reid poll that came out and show, you know, clocked the uh, CAG at 34%, which is their lowest score that we've seen throughout the campaign and even during the pre-campaign. So this is this is definitely having an effect here. Uh, you know, uh, you're seeing, for example, uh, Quebec Liberal leader Dominique Anglade coming out and saying that uh, this type of you know again dangerous rhetoric. This is dividing Quebecers. Uh, you know, they're 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 false you know accusations, and they don't reflect who we are collectively as Quebecers. Now, and- just for the benefit of everyone listening or watching. This is equally important. Jean Boulet isn't just anyone. He nope. is a cabinet minister. Uh, he initially was the minister responsible for employment and then got the file of immigration. He is the actual Quebec immigration minister saying these things. First of all, they're not factual. Uh, and secondly, how how can you even think of saying something like this? Like you're the, the immigration minister. One, you're supposed to know your facts, and it's not factual. Yeah. And, uh, and and these were these were questions that like were specifically about immigration. These were questions about the labor shortage. And again, you know, Boulet said that the solution is regionalization, francisization. I hate that word in English, francisation, meaning more immigrants should settle in Quebec's regions, and the province has to ensure. Immigrants speak French, but then what he said next when he was targeting, again, though that supposed 80%, which again, we know is not true, we know is, is a made-up accusation. Um, you even had the mayor of, of Montreal, Valérie Plante, uh, ca- calling for Boulet to retract his comments, saying that they contradict all the work that's being done mm-hmm. to help new arrivals integrate into Quebec. You know, Montreal is this welcoming place for immigrants, uh, you know, immigrants contribute to the economic, social, cultural vitality and the, you know, what makes uh, Montreal, Quebec and this, our place in North America so dynamic. And that's a really good thing. So there have also been calls from other parties like Bloc Montréal, um, Balorama Holness, the leader of this new um, upstart party uh, for Fourboulet to resign. I don't think that will be the case. Um, I don't think that will be the case right now. I don't think we're seeing the same type of result of, for example, what happened in the riding of Camille Lorrain with the Quebec Solidarity candidate over there who was taking... Was well, that, that was illegal, what she that did. That was illegal. So, yeah, she, but perception so is just a, right This is just a huge blunder. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's but like we said, it's the final stretch of the campaign. Yeah. And some people are saying, you know, maybe, maybe the only way for Legault to 
disband and disassociate himself with Boulez comments is to to get away from it completely. Well, let's 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 get to Premier Lugo because and you're right. You, these at, at this stage in the campaign, the reaction needs to be immediate and it needs to be direct. And he did that. He said he came out and said, "Listen, in the next government, Jean Boulez will not be Minister of Immigration." Um, so he kind of, by saying that, and that's like, you, you rarely see that happening in a campaign where the leader of a party is actually indicating who will or who will not be a minister. That never really happens, right? Um, but he came out and said it, and he was categoric. He said, listen, he will no longer, He, I think precisely he said, well, he just disqualified himself from being immigration minister. Exactly. I think that... And probably, and probably cabinet for this point. That's what I'm thinking. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. And he, he wouldn't say that live uh, or publicly, I mean, before the end of the campaign. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if when he's uh, composing his new cabinet... Jean Boulet will probably um, not be seeing uh, a spot for himself in there. Um, it, it's a huge mistake. Uh, it's it's a it's it's a it's a horrible mistake coming from a minister that should know his stuff, should know his numbers. I think that it's not really a mistake. I think that it was purposeful uh, misinformation. That's that's all yeah. it was. At uh, least and to he... think like it, it's dumb, Michael. It's dumb when you know that. Radio Canada is there recording everything. It's not a little debate in the basement of a church where you have 50 people and, you know, chances are no one ever is going to hear about it. What are you doing? When you're, you know, but this is, this is the, the sub messaging towards different parts of Quebec and in particular a region like Mohissi where this type of rhetoric works to a certain degree, some people will take offense, um, but I think a good portion of them, maybe even the majority will say, you know what, he's not too far off. Uh, you know, our Montreal is really disconnected from my hometown here in the Mauricie, and I, I just don't see any affinity with them whatsoever. You know what, I like it when my candidate shits all over Montreal because I hate Montreal too. Yeah. And those Montrealers, they all, you know, the always, you know, thinking that they're better than us, those those, those elites, and, and oh, don't even get me started on those Anglophones over there, but mm -hmm. the immigrants are just the worst. And that is what I think uh, a lot of people, again, not, not uh, I, I don't want to, to, to paint everybody with the same brush, but I do think that there, there is a certain recipe that works in this regard, and a certain recipe that works um, when you're tapping into the worst possible types of, um, you know, rhetoric that, that again, people find a certain level of affinity with. And you mentioned Legault himself. Legault, uh, you know, he was speaking at the Montreal Chamber of Commerce this week. Mm -hmm. You know, he yeah. was under fire uh, this went just, just yesterday for making comments that, that you know, he said, <laughs> you know, he said basically he was trying to defend the CAC's policy of keeping uh, a lid on those numbers um, of new arrivals. But, you know, he said people say, where did you draw this idea about the capacity to integrate from? And the he says, you know, looking at the most recent numbers, they're they're clear. There's a decline. So if we use the same recipe, it's going to produce the same cake. What we say is stick with fifty thousand, but be more demanding on the knowledge of French. And until we have stopped the decline of French, I think that for the Quebec nation, which wants to protect French, it would be a bit suicidal to increase it this is uh, like the, the the fact that both these things came out the same day um 
I mean, it, it has rocked the campaign completely. That's yeah. all the media has been talking about, have been talking about. Um, and, and, you know, up until now, every party has had its own position on the numbers of new immigrants to 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 accept. You know, the liberals are anywhere between 50 and 70. Uh, you know, the PQ is under 50, closer to 30. The CAC wants to maintain 50. Uh, Quebec Solidaire is somewhat aligned with the liberal party. And for different reasons that from the beginning of the campaign have been accepted. I mean, it's your Paul, it's your platform. It's your, it's your opinion. That's fine. And, and so far it hasn't been an issue, but, but, but George, but now, which is, now, now it yeah. feels like they're on the defensive. It's like, listen, we bring more, more immigrants in. Uh, they're not going to learn French. They're not in, uh, aligned with our values. One guy says, and the other guy says, well, you bring more. It's suicidal for the nation of Quebec, yeah. meaning that what we're, we're going to kill ourselves because it, 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 like, I don't, I don't, I'm not so sure he knew what he was saying. Like always, no. I mean, he opens his mouth and stuff comes out without him thinking about them. But if you put it down, literally what he said is that the Quebecers are going to die, kill themselves if more immigrants come here. But George, let's, well, we've we've been saying and we've been asserting that what Legault said is false. We've been asserting that what the CAC policy is 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 it's wrong and it's divisive. But just let's look at the facts and let's look at the experts. Michel Leblanc, who was the one interviewing um, François Legault, he's the president of the Montreal Chamber of Commerce. He highlighted the sh the, the shortages. And he said, these numbers are clear. There is, a, there, there, we, we need to work on this. He said that. Wait, you know, are, you after, saying he, are you saying he agrees with less or he's saying. No, I'm saying, Legault, I'm saying Leblanc completely disagrees with okay. Legault. Okay, yeah, I'm okay, saying yeah. Leblanc is saying that, you know, after <laughs> Legault got this standing ovation for his, his, his presentation. Um, it, it, the, the train seals were, were inside of the, the Congress hall there at the, uh, yeah. At the Montreal Chamber of Commerce, uh, it was mostly stuffed with with CAC uh, campaign supporters, staffers, right. and, and candidates. Uh, but but Leblanc quickly got up and said, "No, I, I disagree with what the CAC leader is saying. He's saying that he's been pressuring the government for months to increase the levels of new arrivals. Quebec needs minimum minimum sixty four thousand immigrants to fill the current job vacancies right now." That's not including the future job vacancies mm -hmm. we're going to have down the road. So it's not suicidal. It's not suicidal. And, and the need for more workers is the number one issue for the province when it comes to because the economy, it touches us all. It's it's on our mind. And this for to use a word like suicidal is just completely ridiculous. Uh, it, the the risk we are living with now is is the weaken, weakening of companies that want to grow. That want to accept contracts, that want to 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 export, and that need people to fill these posts. The objective is to integrate them, and they want to be integrated, and they want to be made comfortable, um, and they and we want to make sure they learn French. But they, but I think they do want to learn French. But we need more immigrants, and we need um, we need to have all the help we, we can get in this regards there. And that's the message yeah. that's coming from Michel Leblanc. That is the message coming from 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 the Quebec business community. And and again, it's com completely at the contrary of, of what Mr. Legault has been saying. Here, here's the here's the problem. I mean, for me, I mean, it's been it's been in my mind the entire day. Yesterday, I my family immigrated here. Yours as well. 
you know that immigration, I think everyone knows that immigration in Quebec is one giant success story. Um, and what people should know is that immigration to Quebec is a pretty complex process, right? Quebec has a pretty strong hold on the selection process. Uh, and in that more, more so than any other province, than any other province, and yeah. in that selection process, uh, it's a it's a point system, uh, and the biggest portion of that point system is on the French language. So whoever the the the, the government actually selects to immigrate, um, and we're not talking about people seeking refugee status and you know people coming from war torn countries, which does happen, um, or. Um, uh, a family sponsorship and uh, I forget the, the term there, reunification um, familial there. The majority of the immigrants that come here are selected by the government. They're selected based on the fact that they already speak French or have a, a, an understanding of the language. So the fact that the minister of immigration says that they don't speak French, first of all, reflects badly on what you've been doing as a job. Why have you been taking them if they don't speak French? Number one, um, and it's it's just wrong. I I just do not understand. And the fact that Premier Legault just continues on this path yeah. of putting aside the facts and focusing on the sensitivity to the nationalism, uh, to the nationalist core of his supporters, to me is very dangerous. I don't know. I find it I find it fascinating that a premier actually puts aside the numbers and the facts and you have the, the 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 president of the chamber of commerce in montreal the economic engine of the province telling you we've done our studies we've done our research this is what we need help us and he's saying fuck you i have to please my base which has no understanding about immigration and uh they're just proud quebecers the french language needs to be protected and and keep in and keep in mind too this is not the first time that, that jean boulet uh, has has come into making controversies in his domain of immigration, his you know ministry responsible for immigration. I remind you, he's also ironically he's also the minister responsible for uh, social solidarity. Social solidarity, exactly. And uh, doing a great job there, Jean. In any case, like all um, three things were affected by one little statement: immigration, <laughs> employment, and social solidarity. You read know? the room, <laughs> read the room, buddy. And in any case, uh, he did in 2021. Uh, at the end of 2021, uh, he did imply that asylum seekers coming into Quebec were bringing with them COVID-19. And, you know, he was he was worried about the arrival of refugees via Roxham Road, which I think is a is obviously a concern. Yes. But but in the midst of a pandemic and, and he asked the, the federal government to, to close the route because he was concerned that so many of these asylum seekers coming in could have COVID, you know, and again, it just it, it reeks of, you know, att attempts to rally that base, to rally the the CAC supporters and, and to secure them. And I get it. I, I understand to a certain degree the political uh, strategy here in terms of he's worried that uh, the, the PQ is on the rise there. And usually they've tapped into this type of messaging before in immigration. Uh, again, very negative messaging. Uh, the, 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 the Conservative Party of Quebec, new player in town, they're also pretty tight when it comes to immigration. But again, Zuaim sort of is smart because he he also uh, well he won't he won't attack anglophones he won't attack allophones in in this way he'll say well Mr Legault will always attack uh, anglophone immigration or will always attack non francophone immigration and he sort of nuances it there and so it's it's interesting to see 
that, that how he differentiates himself. But in any case, uh, this is uh, this is bad. Again, end result here. I think that this is gonna it, the CAC bites the hand that feeds Quebec, and 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 they do that by 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 attacking immigrants. They know that this is that this is wrong, but they I think they also understand that you know we need to understand this isn't their key messaging. This is the type of stuff that you know amongst candidates and in their media they say what is working on the on the ground when you're speaking to voters. What is what is the type of messaging that that's working when you're hitting the doors and you're riding? Mm. And this could very well be the case that it is working in this case, and that this could have been you know some imagine I very well imagine that this could be some of the rhetoric that Jean Boulet was was saying. When speaking to um, you know people in his writing, that he's constituents exactly, yeah. yeah. So we yeah. have to be cognizant of that too. And and again, his mea culpa was poor. Uh, he's not going to find himself in cabinet. Legault is is it has to take responsibility for his comments in the Chamber of Commerce. Again, the the suicide thing is just really. <clears throat> Really I didn't see. I, I didn't see anywhere him addressing that or coming back on that. Jersey he's not. Jersey. He's not. He's only. He's only been throwing Jean Boudet under the bus because he knows he can use them. Use him as as the uh, scapegoat, and and it's pathetic. Speaking of Eric Duhem, um, there's some things that came up as well, uh, and you're right. He's not really focusing on the immigration thing. I'm not so sure he knows where he's positioned. But he has taken a position on Bill 21. Bill 21, for those listening or um, or watching, is the is the law that passed on secularism, um, which bans religious symbols um, in the in the, not only in in the public sector but people of uh, certain um, uh, authority. Uh, and he's and he agrees with that fully. And he was recently uh, doing an interview on CJAD, which is the English radio station here in uh, in Montreal, and he was asked uh, about. Bill 21. What what, uh, what did he say there, Michael? Well, I mean, in the full in the, in the short snippet there, um, and and this was a an, you know a, an attack ad that was put out by the campaign of Elizabeth Prass, who's running for the Quebec Liberal Party in Darcy McGee. She's a friend of ours, someone who we've known through politics for for many years, and has has definitely uh, earned her time to now sit in caucus after having you know worked as a staffer for two economic. Uh, uh, economic development ministers in Quebec City, Raymond Bachon and Clément Gignac. Um, so, and I think this is smart because I think you're going at the, you're, you're, you're sort of uncovering and, and exploring things that certain, I think, Anglophones don't know. And especially people in the, in the, in the constituency of, of Darius McGee, for example, aren't aware of. But again, he was asked specifically by guest host uh, David Hortel, Eric was, about, you know, what about Bill 21? And again, he conflated, um, uh, you know, a keeper. And in the scenario that that that, that Mr. Mr. Hertel put Eric Zouem in in the full clip was, you know, if you're in a hospital and if you need to be treated, you know, what would you do in this circumstance? Here is a keeper, is a Jewish doctor wearing keeper at the Jewish General Hospital or at any hospital for that matter in Montreal? Does that show a bias? And for Mr. Zuem, the answer was yes, it does. It does show a bias. And there were other parts uh, of this very, you know, bizarre sort of interview that he did, where he had mentioned that, well, no, as a homosexual, I I don't know how I would be perceived by um, by a, a a doctor, a Jewish doctor wearing a kippah. He would have prejudice against me. Complete um, again, nonsense. I'm, Complete I'm, nonsense. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you imagine that. The irony of somebody saying, "Well, their kippah is prejudicial against me." Well, what about the prejudice that you're putting upon the doctor wearing a kippah? Because mm. that seems pretty prejudicial, prejudicial <clears throat> itself, right there. 
And and again, uh, you know, to to what he was alluding to is that this Jewish doctor, who is a, is obviously a man of faith and a man who is openly religious, would this is very hypothetical, by the way, this didn't actually happen, but that this doctor would be a homophobe and would not give him the same standard of service as uh, somebody who um, is, is, a, is a non-Jewish doctor or somebody who wasn't show, wearing a religious symbol. That's what he was implying and that it's it shows a bias. And again, it's it goes to show the disconnect. Um, again, Zouem is is not originally, um, you know, he, he spent he spent years in Quebec City. He, he's he's a shock jock radios from there. He obviously connects, I would say, more with that type of uh, Paul, the type of mindset of, of of Quebec City, where it's it's rare that you see um, a, a, a religious Jew wearing a kippah. It's it's rare that you you find a Jew in Quebec City in, in that mm-hmm. circumstance. There, it's rare that you find an Anglophone over in Quebec City. So that disconnect there. I, I think is pretty disturbing. I know that it's been very difficult for some of his candidates, um, especially Anglophone candidates and candidates like Bonnie Fagenbaum, who's running up running against Liz Press for the Conservative Party of Quebec in Darcy McGee, in Darcy McGee. It's been difficult to sort of, you know, play the contortionist and and trying to get out of uh, you know, the, you know, defending uh, yeah i mean the, the, they're on thin ice. they're on thin ice and ju- just for everyone's information they're watching or listening darcy mcgee is the probably well there's many writing it is the, Jewish writing. the writing in in quebec that has the largest concentration of jewish uh citizens uh electors and uh yeah, I mean, we both know uh, Bonnie uh, Fagenbaum as well. Um, you know, a frustrated liberal that went over to the Conservative Party of uh, of Quebec with Eric Duhem, and now she's kind of skating on thin ice with these uh, with these statements. I mean, how is she knocking on doors to the Jewish people and telling them, you know, we're the party for you when your leader says, "Look, drop your kippa," and we don't care. We 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 believe fully in the secular uh, secularism bill in Quebec. Well, I could tell you it didn't go over well with uh, the town of Hampstead mm. uh, City Council when she met with them. I remind you, the majority of the people on that council do wear kippas, uh, you know, when they're mm. out and about doing their business. And uh, you could just imagine that. <laughs> and I remind you that she also brought Eric Zouaim to uh, meet with uh, the town of Hampstead City Council when she was invited to meet them as well, I think hoping to perhaps uh, build a bridge or something build a bridge and also say look i've got the leader of my party here today he took some time off from his campaign to come meet with you did not go down well uh and and so again and they questioned him on on the question of the keeper and they questioned him when it came to his position on bill 21 and uh his answers were i'll give him this authentic and honest but they did not bode well yeah, with, with the positioning of the vast majority of the voters that Bonnie has to convince in order to win, she won't be able to. The Liberals will will obviously, um, you know, have a bit of a decline uh, in, in Doris McGee in itself. It's going to be tighter, but there's still going to be a twenty to thirty percent spread between, let's say, the the Conservative Party of Quebec and the Liberals, uh, the Liberals being on top there. All right, uh, let's uh, let's stay on Eric Duhem because he made another statement uh, about him potentially making. Uh, making it to, to government, which we don't think is possible. Um, he, something strange about his uh, the composition of his cabinet. Yeah, I, I I think it's 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 a it sends a really strong message, uh, and and that message is that he wants to keep uh, you know the current cabinet is about twenty seven ministers, and he was he, he Zouem is a great communicator because you know he he does this press conference right outside 
uh, next to the National Assembly, but right outside the, the, the Ministry for uh, the Executive Council. This is the, the Privy Council of Quebec. This is the, the Premier's ministry, the Premier's department. They support him in his day-to-day -day work. And, uh, you know, every Wednesday, they come in, or almost every Wednesday, every week, they come in, uh, the ministers, their, their limousines, they park all along that street there in front of the apartments and uh, the, with, with their, their limousines. They're not actual limousines, as you're imagining, but black, again, cars. Like black, <laughs> black cars, cars. Usually, <laughs> they're usually upgraded minivans, okay? Yeah. The same thing you'd find with for, for a soccer mom in many cases. My point being is that it's a great image, and you've probably seen it on TV at one point or another, seeing these limousines pop up. So there's 27 of them, one for every minister and the premier. And he, you know, Zuem came out and said, we don't need 27 ministers and limousines to manage Quebec. And I'm challenging all parties to commit to reducing the size of the next provincial cabinet to a bare minimum. And again, what is the reasoning for this? Families are being hit hard by the pandemic. They're struggling with inflation. It went up 7% last month, rising mortgage rates. Quebec households are being deprived of thousands of dollars a year and are struggling to meet the basic needs such as food, housing, clothing, soaring debt. And the solution cannot be to put Quebecers in even more debt. And he recognized from the get-go, was like, listen, I recognize that this is symbolic. I know that this is not going to save a massive amount of money for the Quebec state. But it shows that we care. And it shows that we uh, we can make a difference. And, you know, he used examples. He basically said, hey, so we're going to take it from 27. Let's cap it to 20. That's a reduction of seven ministers right there. And he used, for example, you know, how can we group certain ministers together to save costs? The posts of, um, let's say, a, a delegate ministers could be abolished. These are associate ministers. Mm -hmm. Different provinces have different names for them. And in the rest of Canada, they're usually called associate ministers. So they're junior ministers, ministers of state over in Ottawa, that we'll call them. And, and over here in Quebec, we call them um, a delegate ministers in a sense. So, for example, mm -hmm. he would he would get rid of the delegate, the minister's delegate for for health and social services, for for transport, for for education, for economy and loop them back in to their main ministry um, and, and the, the minister responsible for that ministry itself. The minister who who leads that ministry would then assume those that a power that power instead of delegating it to an associate minister. And again, I think it sends a strong signal. He, Eric is saying that he wants to reduce cabinet because of the current burden that Quebecers are living with right now. He wants to reduce the 20. I think this is something that bodes well with, with people. I think no, no matter where you are, be it in Quebec City, uh, where he's obviously targeting for some seats, or be it in Montreal, I think people say, hey, listen, would you like to see uh, a reduction of, of, um, of cabinet ministers, you know, limiting the, 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 the pig's trough to a certain extent? I think it could work. Uh, you having been up in Quebec City, uh, how do you feel about that? Because I think that it's a question of efficiency. The fact that certain big ministries are kind of split and you have delegate ministers to kind of. Nobody knows that. Nobody understands that. Because, yeah, well, see, the, the, this is the, this is the thing, right, about, uh, uh, you know, uh, Eric Duhem's uh, communication skills and presenting something, but not showing the, the, the logic behind the, yeah. the way things are now. Uh, you cannot have a health minister assume that gigantic department, which takes over 50% of Especially the during COVID, budget. right? Especially during COVID. Exactly. Uh, manage everything on his own or her own. 
it's uh, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's it, 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 I, I do not I, I can't see that happening. I mean, it's too huge for them to do that. Um, so health and social services have, has always been kind of these two departments under one umbrella. Um, so there's always been kind of like a delegate minister that takes care of the social services aspect and the, the, the minister of health that takes care of, uh, you know, the big chunk of it. Um, there's the same thing happening in education, which is another, do we need, a, do we, do we need a minister for sport? For example, do we need a minister of sport? Can well, we tag on? But that's, but that's always, that's always paired with, uh, education and sport, right? Uh, or is there a, no, because we minister? write actually right now, we, we have a minister responsible for sport. Who's also the minister responsible for the status of women. Oh yeah. Which, What's your name? The, the former Olympian. He's, um, he's you're right. You're right. So I'm, point, thinking, my... I'm thinking back in the day that used to be one cabinet under the minister of education. It was education, uh, sport and leisure back in yeah. the day. Could we not, for example, could you not merge, um, you know, like they do in Alberta, like they do in other provinces? That finance. would make sense, though. That that would make sense. Yeah, but if merging, for example, uh, finance with Treasury Board, that's done in a lot of Western Prairie provinces. It works effectively. Travis Taves, who's the cur- who was the the outgoing uh, minister for Treasury Board and Finance. He did that for his entire tenure in the Kenny government. You know, and, back and- uh, yeah, back when I started, uh, those were together. Uh, Raymond Bachan was both finance minister and um, uh, treasury uh, president of the treasury board. Yeah, um, but it was two separate cabinets, but under one minister. Though I don't know how he did it, but uh, yeah, they were under one person's responsibility. Right. So I mean, my my I understand that maybe some of the examples that he was giving were not the best, but I think they definitely. Uh, you know, in, from a communication standpoint, I think he was trying to build some support and, and trying to sensitize Quebecers to the fact that, listen, you don't need this much. There you is know, a limit. Michael, I, th- I think it's useless because the budgets, regardless, are going to go to these departments. The, for the sure. For sure. But the point is, the, the point is, I think that this it, it's a great the way that he built the imaging behind this. The lemmas look at the luxurious limousines that come here every week. Yeah. And, and you've got these men and, and the, the the waste that goes on behind it. Look at this. I want to reduce the size of cabinet i think for a conservative this is this is red meat for conservative voters small voters yeah and i think that there's a way to really tap into some of the people that are like you know what i i like the cac i'm more conservative leaning um and and, but zoem i really haven't seen him you know emphasizing too much on the uh on on cuts and, and being fiscally responsible this is something that might push me over the edge and saying, well, why the hell does 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 Lego have an, an associate minister for that or a delegate minister for that? That's ridiculous. I'm gonna either not gonna be voting, I might not be voting for the CAC, or this might push me a certain way, is what I'm saying. And, yeah. and I think the way that he structured the communication aspect of it was was really well done and impressive. Uh these are this is for me, this is one of the things where if tomorrow by some magic whatever he makes it to government it would be probably the one thing that he would not go forward with he would realize instantly that it's unsustainable they can, can I, it's unmanageable you like just in terms of efficiency you need these i agree with you yeah i agree with you but we we've seen this exercise done before and again alberta when a rachel notley came in in 2015 she cut the size of cap in half practically yeah she she named half um the the cabinet her her predecessor named and and again, it is. I think it is possible. I think that 
it would lead to increasing the size of, of the bureaucracy in, in effect because you would have more bureaucrats doing more sure. work instead yeah. of political staff, for example. And again, you'd be ceding a lot of that um, that that responsibility towards the bureaucracy and you could in effect be, be creating a larger bureaucracy in itself. But again, it's symbolically, I think it's, it's, a, it's a smart way to frame the debate and it's a smart way to frame waste and cutting the fat inside of government. And I have to, I have to commend Ed Zwayne for that. Let's move on over to uh, a story happening in uh, a writing in Laval, Shamari, uh, particularly. We've spoken about this. Uh, I'm not sure if we've spoken on the episodes or, you know, uh, off air. Um, we've spoken about the possibility, the real possibility that CAC completely takes over the island of Laval, except maybe for Shamari, which is still a, a liberal stronghold. Although I think they're going to they're going to see that margin kind of uh, reduced there between the liberals and the the, the, the CAC, which is obviously going to come in second place. Um, there's a story that came out in La Presse today. This is uh, oh, just so we can set the stage. Shamiri, uh, the former MNA in Shamiri, Guy Ouellette, uh, immediately after the last election in 2008 was kicked out of caucus because of certain things happening. Uh, allegedly, he was uh, leaking information from the liberals to the CAC, to Legos, and we found that out during the campaign. It was too late to replace him. So everyone knew that as soon as they went back in the House, he would be out of the caucus, which is exactly what happened. So he spent four years sitting as an independent uh, MA. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was just news coming up there. Uh, so he was sitting as an independent. And so everyone knew that that seat in Shamari would be open, obviously, because it's a winnable riding. There was a huge interest in that uh, in that riding. Uh, there were people that were suggesting to the party not to run a nomination, an open nomination to demonstrate some sort of leadership and to put a good, strong candidate because it's a winnable riding and because you need strong people in the caucus. Um, the party went the other direction and they did an open nomination. Uh, I, I feel like they frustrated the base because it's obviously a, a, a riding that has a huge concentration of ethnic voters. Um, a lot of Greeks, uh, a lot of Lebanese, a lot of Muslims, uh, some Armenians, obviously a lot of Francophones as well, uh, which aren't aren't ethnics, but they're uh, part of the composition there. Um, and there were, I think, three or four candidates in that race. One of them was a Greek person. Another one was uh, an Armenian who won the nomination. And then I think there was a Muslim and I believe a Lebanese uh, candidate as well. I think there were four altogether. Uh, I know for a fact that uh, that divided a lot of uh, a lot of the people that were present over there. The Lebanese candidate won, Son uh, Sona Lacoyan. Um, and then today there's an article in the paper, in the French paper, to the effect that the Greek candidate there, Peter Papadakis, was, um, you know, there was some dirty work being done. Yeah. Uh, there were some pamphlets that were distributed to the members uh, that were uh, a little derogatory towards Peter. Uh, um I mean, look, I know Peter. He's a good guy. Uh, I'm not so sure if he's perfect for the role of an MNA, to be honest with you. But he he's a good guy, and he was the he was the president of the local liberal association in Shamiri as well. Uh, and he just didn't win. I just you know I don't think those pamphlets did any damage to him specifically. I just think that he wasn't able to mobilize as many members to come and vote for him. That's all. Um, and yeah, so he came out saying that uh, he's. Uh, reflecting on what happened and he may very well bring the liberal party to court because he thinks that they didn't do much or enough um to avoid this sort of situation 
the party on their side says that, yeah, we were made aware, uh, but we looked into it, we investigated, and we could not find who, who this came from, who was behind it. What do you think? I mean, I, you know, you're, you're you're in politics, man. You're in politics, and whether you're facing an adversary or whether you're facing your own colleagues, like in a in a nomination race, it could get dirty. It's it's yeah. part of the deal. I don't like it, but you gotta accept it. That's how it works. And I mean, I, I don't think it should be working that way. I mean, you shouldn't be printing things that are negative towards someone else or that brings him down but it's part of the reality you're in politics this is like part of the um the the fine print you know yeah. <laughs> that nobody reads but it's there it happens um so i just think that you know it's just his inability to mobilize and it's not the first time he, you know he fails at this i mean he was a he was running for the nomination in this in in that same seat but federally a couple of years ago, and he lost it for the same reasons. He wasn't able to mobilize his members. And uh, I do believe even then he felt that he was cheated and he actually sued the Liberal Party of Canada. So I don't know if this is a thing uh, that we're seeing repetitively from uh, Peter. Um, you know, I just think in this situation, man, you just got to swallow that pill. And I know it's tough, dude. Uh, you know, you're losing two nominations when, you know, when you thought you had it in the bag. I know it's not easy, but suing parties now i mean i don't know i don't know what you think no it's it's and this is a few things on this front here uh you know bringing you know bringing it back to the basics the idea that you know maybe certain writings such as shambody that that's a very a relatively safe liberal writing on in laval uh, more safe than the other five that's for sure you know should it be contested in a nomination race should it not be reserved let's say for the party leader to say you know what there's, let's say, 20 or 25 seats across Quebec that I want to make sure that I'm able to appoint, I can designate my candidate and put it there. Uh, because you, you you can assure yourself of being able to build a cabinet yeah. with, with strong candidates and put them there. Um, the people that you'll need doesn't mean that some other people and other writings where there's, there's nomination races where the race is going to be a little bit tighter, they won't be in an eventual cabinet themselves. It just means that you've got, you know, the the the, the basics and the and and the basics put in place for you to actually have your cabinet come, uh, you, you know, if you form government. Now the PLQ is not going to form government, but let's just say hypothetically they were. But they you still, but be, you still need a strong caucus. You still you need, need a strong team. Yeah. You need strong critics, right? You need strong critics to keep the government accountable on this front, and that's what's important here, right? So I I, I think uh, from this perspective that. You know, when you have, uh, especially in a very diverse riding like Shamadi, when you have uh, different ethnic groups working to mobilize their vote, you see who is really working uh, to, to get out their vote. And, and I have to applaud certain communities for being able to demonstrate, you know what, I can get this done. Um, I was surprised when the Armenian community was able to support the, uh, the, the candidate who ended up winning in the end. Um, it, it wasn't as um, clear to me that it was going to be the case for her. But this is the struggle you have to deal with. And then this, again, in, in, in regards to Peter and, and, and what he's thinking, this, this to me is, um, you know, he, he just feels very sorry for himself and feels that he was cheated out. Um, again, negative campaigning is something I think that's fairly fresh and fairly new for um for for a lot of people uh, especially people who have never been involved in politics before it has existed in quebec um but this american style uh, campaign the salissage that we're seeing again i don't think that's necessarily what we saw here but 
it's becoming more and more predominant. And I think that people need to write. And, and again, it pushes people away, good people away from wanting to put their, their hat into the ring and get involved in active politics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the, the greater thing that we have to look at here is how is this type of stuff pushing people that are good candidates, good quality candidates from wanting to uh, get involved in public service. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes in to running in a, uh, in a, in a race. Um, and there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into, especially for business professionals winning and having to dedicate, you know, four years plus uh, to something like this. Yeah. You know, the, 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 there's always this, um, you know, you know, this debate that happens uh, during these, uh, during this process. And it, it, even, even the people at the party are divided on whether or not we should pre- uh, choose open nominations or just um, uh, open conventions or a nomination. Yeah. Um, and it, it divides the people. I mean, you see a nomination, you mean like an appointment. An like appointment, an appointment, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm more on the side of appointing people uh, because it demonstrates your leadership. You know that you need 125 people. Maybe not do it all, you know, in all writings. I mean, you know, uh, have some open nominations. But I agree with you. In certain writings that you know are winnable, you should demonstrate a certain sense of leadership and say, this is the type of people that I want yeah. to move forward in this next mandate. And I need to go find the people that fit specifically um uh this mold right uh and you got to use these writings uh i think strategically that way if you're the leader of the party i can understand the other side saying that no you know when you're when you're doing a convention <clears throat> it engages the membership it gets people interested and it brings money to the party yes i agree but between the two i would still go uh to the side of you know the the the, the leadership demonstration over the convention, which we've seen in the past, has split the membership. It's divided them. And not only that, I mean, people think that when you run an open nomination, a convention, everyone just comes together after and supports the the person that's elected. It is not true. It's not true. We've seen this time and time again, where after conventions, uh, the losing side just stays home. They don't come out. Yeah, and it takes a whole mandate to get them back in. We've seen this happen, and I don't know why, but it happens in writings that have this sort of composition, like Shamidi does. Um, And again, uh, you know, there were people that advised the party not to do that. We're not going to name names here, but one of them is on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Go figure. I wonder. I don't. I don't think it's the guy with the the last thing that's not Greek. So, so so in any case, uh, you know, I mean. It, again, it just goes to demonstrate the weakness of the Liberal Party in this election. And there's small things like that that are creeping out that are just indicators of the lack of leadership. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, just to, to wrap it up on, on that front is the fact that the vast majority of funding now, especially for the POQ, comes from uh, taxpayer subsidies. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you have to balance, uh, you know, having these types of investitures, will they bring in the cash? Will they not? Will memberships bring in the cash? Will they not? Or, and this is where I see it going, do you need high profile candidates that give the leader credibility in order to demonstrate to Quebecers that she has a solid team on the economic front, on the health front, on the, uh, you know, the uh, on the justice front, you want to have these high quality candidates that, let's be frank, on Glad was not able to get as many as she wanted. Very, very few on that front there. 
some here and there and some safe ridings that she appointed, but by and large, um, she's missing she's missing quite a few people in order to build that that solid cabinet if she were to form government on October 3rd. It's not going to be the case. Um, but when you have that type of team in place, when you have them hitting the ground, when you have those news articles coming out saying, hey, I have a former head of the, um, you know, Barreau du Québec as my uh, candidate, when I have the, you know, the former uh, head of this health system in from this region running for me, um, or the head of a health association for a, a big professional order running for me in my campaign, that tells a story of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm attracting good people on my side. Look at what I'm able to yeah. do. And then I can fundraise off that as well. But I can also attract voters. And those with every vote is a few, a uh, couple, a few dollars in into my into my purse mm. for the into my war chest for the election campaign, or to keep the party uh, sustained uh, after the election itself. Because that is how our new publicly funded taxpayer, uh, you know, voter subsidy works. Do I agree with the system? Not necessarily, but it is a system that's in place, and parties need to learn to adapt to that reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, in any case, I really don't care because, uh, they were, <laughs> they were warned. Anyway, let's move on over. Uh, let's finish this up with, uh, polls, uh, yeah. new poll that was conducted yesterday. Is it shocking? Is it not? I mean, is it surprising? No, I, I think that the, you know, especially with the, <clears throat> the, the, the rhetoric that we've been seeing, um, over the course of the past little while, like I'll give you an example, like, you know, with what we saw with, uh, with Jean Boulet and what we've been seeing over the course of the past little while, uh, it's it's not really. Um, one in three Quebecers right now, uh, about 34% say they would vote CAC on October 3rd. One in five shows the Conservative Party at 19%. 16% say they would vote either Quebec Solidaire or for the Liberal Party. And one in eight, 12%, say they'd vote for the Parti Québécois. So again, the CAC still has their, their solid pathway to victory. Um, you know, they're they're running on, uh, you know, two key issues that are very important to Quebecers, health care and the economy. But we have seen that oh, they, for the first time from a major pollster like Angus Reid, the Conservatives coming in at 34 percent. That's the lowest they've polled this entire election campaign. The CAC, you mean the CAC, yeah. The CAC, excuse me. What did yeah. I say? The Conservatives. The Conservatives. Yeah. Same difference. Um, so in any case, no, from François Legault's CAQ, need another cup of coffee. Uh, you know, this is the lowest that they've been over the course of the entire electoral campaign. And, and that, that is, you know, is it indicative of the, uh, you know, the rhetoric from Jean Boulet or from François Legault when it comes to immigration? I don't know. Um, are, are, is it the debate performances? Maybe. Uh, maybe Legault didn't come off as solid as we thought he did. But it's and also, but it's also the, the only one that is that has such a huge difference in the polling every other one uh, every other poster like uh if you look at the uh, leger or anyone else they're pretty much uh yeah they're pretty much on the same page this one is like they put the conservative second with uh, 19 percent yeah. uh, that i don't know if it's off uh i do want to go on record and say that from the very beginning i've always thought that the conservatives were underestimated maybe yeah, of course 
and, 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 and conservative across the board, federally yeah. and in different provinces, conservative parties are always underestimated. Yeah. When, when you see, but when you see the chart, I'm like, who second? Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've always thought they were underestimated, but Which I think is within the margin of error with the other parties too. I, I don't think it's that shocking. I mean, some other takeaways from the poll too is that no leader has been viewed positively by a majority of Quebecers. Mm. Um, we know that healthcare, economy, climate change, these are the top issues. Men are more aligned on issues. Women have small variations in priorities. And again, while Legault and the CAC are favored on healthcare and economy, Quebec City Dow's coming out as most trusted on the environment. And we're talking about the uh, the, 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 the Fonderie over in Rouyn-Noranda. That issue has definitely been percolating and, and, and maybe making a lot of Quebecers think, okay, I don't know if I really trust these guys when it comes to the economy. Well, sorry, when it comes to environment, but definitely when it comes to healthcare and economy, I'm favoring more the CAC. But, you know, it's fascinating because despite this controversy in Rouyn-Noranda on, uh, on the foundry, the CAC is still coming in first in the in the polls up there. They yeah. might win that seat from Quebec solely there, which yeah. is... And and Legault coming out this week and saying, well, you know what? It's the the, the issue uh, up in Rwanda. It's not as bad as people are saying. It's not really that bad. A lot of people might have looked at it as dismissive, but I think that um, it, it really has been a story that's died out over the course of the past couple of weeks. We're talking less and less of it, mm. and and it hasn't stayed consistent. Where you know, again, it's really difficult for for the minister of the environment, Benoit Charette, to intervene in a dossier of this nature yeah. during an election campaign. Really. You know, the, just so, so people know, you know, the ministries right now are in caretaker mode. It is left to the department heads, the deputy ministers, the heads of the bureaucracy to keep the state of government going, to keep the bus moving um, without the involvement of ministers. And again, they might be kept aware or apprised of certain issues and what's going on on that front. But the decisional authority of ministers is pretty much revoked over the course of, of the, the 30 some odd days of the campaign. So you have to keep that in mind that yes, they're kept apprised of on, on a need to know basis of what is going on, but they can't really intervene. And that would be the same thing for the minister of the environment in this circumstance here. Mm. The only exception to a certain degree would be, let's say, Oh, there's like a national emergency or whatever. Well, which is what we saw yeah. in the Gaspésie, right? Exactly. With, with, uh, with, uh, with, with Fiona. With, so, with Hurricane Fiona over there, that, that was obviously a, a major involvement by Geneviève Guilbeault, the Minister of, of Public Security. But that was also for the sake of, you know, a photo op too. And listen, do I think it was wrong for her to be there? No, I think it's important to no, demonstrate no, she had to, it was yeah. on the ground. But yeah. it also, did, it did look, let's be very frank here, it did look good for the cameras as well. It Every, every team, every political team wants that kind of imagery during an election. If, the, if, if a problem like it's terrible that a problem like this happened, but I do want to make sure that my minister, my candidate is on the ground acting in her role as minister of public security. Anybody would expect that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up. Uh, wag of the fingertip of the hat moments. Well, it, it, it has to be uh, the CAC on immigration. This could, this could kill. This could be the difference between them scoring. And again, like, you know, 85 seats versus a hundred seats, right? You know, as long as they get their, their magic number of 63 seats, which is the majority inside of the Quebec National Assembly, the CAC is going to be fine. Yeah. Go is going to be fine. Blessing in disguise. Blessing in disguise. Albeit that his the, the, it was disgusting uh, what Boudet said on immigration, what, 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 what Legault said on immigration. It, it, it goes against my, my very principles as somebody who wants to welcome people into this province and believes that, that immigrants make Quebec better. They make Canada better. They have a place in our society. 
him clocking in at a lower and getting a lower number of seats could be better for, for, for Legault just by the simple fact that he's going to have a lot of disappointed caucus members when he forms his uh, Conseil des Ministres. Mm. And when he's forming his Conseil des Ministres, it's much easier to form it, let's say, with 27 or 30. Maybe he'll expand it up into to 30, 30, 35, let's say, um, which is possible for him, which is what Doug Ford did. Um, it's much easier to promise 30, 35, um, you know, ministers uh, some roles from the caucus there when you have 85 caucus members as opposed to 100. Mm -hmm. You know, the 15 less disappointed faces that you'll have to deal with and throw yeah. it on the bone uh, over the course of your four-year mandates. Um, Legault's very good in terms of giving his ministers, or sorry, giving his caucus members that are non-ministerial uh, specific mandates, naming them parliamentary assistant for economy. Well, I want you to focus on um, economic development in this region here, because I feel that it's really important. It's something that we haven't been doing well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, naming a parliamentary secretary responsible for um, ensuring that Quebec has a good internet uh, capacity in rural areas and rural regions uh, of the province itself, and ensuring that those regions are now connected with, um, with, with the advent of, you know, social media. It's important that we are able to get communicate with these people effectively and naming a, a, a parliamentary secretary responsible for that. Um, so I think that, you know, albeit that his, his the comments are disgusting, he's maybe shot himself in the foot. He might not get the results he was, he was maybe clocked in to get at the beginning of this campaign, you know, a little bit under 100 seats. It's um, still more might, than what he left. I do him well. Yes. Oh, for sure. He's still, he's still coming out on top. Well, for him, regardless, it's a victory. It's a victory either way, and it's a victory in terms of stakeholder management internally for your team when having to uh, to make those ministerial appointments. Yeah, yeah. Tip of the hat? You know, this week has been so muddied, uh, I, I, but I, I have to give, again, um, uh, a tip of the hat to Dominique Anglade because I think she did stick on message. She's taking some hard punches. Um, polling is terrible for her. Um, she's having, um, you know, to, to deal with uh, a lack of volunteers on the ground. But her message has stayed consistent and her messaging has stayed consistent throughout the campaign. And, and I feel that especially in the, you know, the second debate, um, she did come back swinging and was able to land a few punches here. Um, I feel terrible for her. I feel terrible for any leader that's in this capacity right now of, of literally being, uh, you know, the, the, you know, <laughs> being presiding over the funeral for, for, for a, a major political party, because that's, that's the death blow that's going to be um, that's going to going to be hit come October third. But I do feel that she has been able to maintain uh, her messaging throughout the campaign, especially towards the latter end. She's not giving up. She's doing, uh, I think, more events than than other party leaders from from looking at their schedules. I've been pretty impressed. So kudos to her in terms of being able to maintain that. And there you have it, folks. Uh, that uh, wraps it up for today's episode. We will see you again on Monday, Election Day. We're going to talk about, I don't know, whatever whatever has happened over the weekend and that specific day. Hopefully, we'll be able to come back with another episode to comment on the results, which will be fun for you. Uh, but, yeah, see you all on October the 3rd, Election Day. Thank you all so much, and have a good day. Take care, Mike. Take it easy. Vote early, vote often. Just don't vote twice. That's illegal. <laughs>